This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. This week's episode is sponsored by the Friends of the Magic Word. Those are the ones who help us financially with their monthly pledges and with their ongoing donations from time to time. Thank you guys very much for your assistance, and that's what we really need in order to help us keep going because we've had some issues in the past with not just with COVID, but also some economic downturns in which some people have had to reduce or eliminate their financial support. And so I thank you for those who are continuing to support us and those new people such as Jay Gorham, who we are welcoming this week as the newest member of the Friends of the Magic Word. Thank you, Jay, and welcome. We hope you enjoy and continue listening to the Magic Word podcast. This is, of course, free to anyone who wants to listen, but of those, for those of you who might have the financial ability, let's say, to at least pay for a cup of coffee a month, or perhaps a, if you have a little bit more means, perhaps it might be the equivalent of a nice glass of single malt. Whatever it is, your financial assistance will be greatly appreciated. Well, this week we are going to be talking with Randy Wakeman, who was a magician uh, a long time ago working in the Chicago Magic Bars and different places, uh, having worked with uh, Jim Molinari and some other people uh, in uh, days gone by when uh, Chicago Magic Bars were kind of in their heyday. And at the time, he was also writing some books that he had written. One, uh, first one was Special Effects, along with John Mendoza, and then also had uh, one which is called Randy Wakeman Presents, which is uh, still currently a, a, a top seller for him. And some other things he's put together as well, some other books, and uh, does some lectures and workshops at magic conventions, uh, attending Abbott's and a few other conventions from time to time. And I happened to run into him actually, first of all, at the senior tour, which was in St. Louis just this year. And he was just preparing to give a workshop. So is before the doors open and we had a chance to talk because I was just thinking I will get a little content here for our daily updates for the convention. And as it went on, I realized that really there's a lot more here I'd like to talk about. So I decided that when we got together later in the year, we went to uh, Fector's Finger Flicking Frolic or the 4F convention in Buffalo, we'd sit down and chat some more. So this was kind of cobbled together, if you will, between those two particular conversations. So the first part of this conversation was recorded in Buffalo, which actually was the second part of our conversation. And then we pick up in St. Louis, which was the first part of our conversation, and then return at the very end back back to Buffalo again. So there's a lot of time travel involved there, as well as actual travel as between uh, Buffalo and St. Louis. Anyhow, I know you're going to enjoy it, and I thank very uh, and I thank Randy very much for his time, not just once, but twice, and sitting down to uh, give us uh, his thoughts on um, his philosophy of magic. And also just getting to know him a little bit better. It was always a lot of fun. So please welcome my guest this week, Mr. Randy Wakeman, here on The Magic World. Uh, 
I'm here today with Randy Wakeman, who is a magician extraordinaire, someone who has uh, uh, produced his own books, worked with a lot of other magicians then as well. I, I, in a way, I kind of say an underground magician, and we'll talk a little bit about that then too, but also someone who's been uh, working uh, in Chicago and different, is familiar with the uh, Chicago magic scene from the standpoint of uh, going way back uh, to some of the early days with the magic bars and um, someone who uh, I think said even spent some time with Ed Marlowe. I uh, did. From time to time. And so please welcome my guest right here, Mr. Randy Wakeman. Hey there, Randy. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm fantastic. You look great. You look multicolored. I mean, you are the master of all magical media. There I am. A magical media mogul, I think. Well, some people call me the pod father. So there you go. Is that a good thing? That's a good thing, I think, as well. Yes. So uh, I can give you an offer that you shouldn't refuse. Uh, when you're listening to these podcasts all the time. So I appreciate you uh, coming. And so I mentioned Ed Marlowe. When did you first kind of get within his sphere? I mean, did you just kind of, uh, were you invited or you were at a restaurant then one day? When uh, Eddie had the table. It was known as the, the table, uh-huh. the round table. And they met every Saturday um, at the Palladian, which became the Three Bears and then Carmen, right next to Magic Incorporated. Okay. Magic Incorporated is 5082 North Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So the table, everybody was welcome, uh, was essentially every Saturday. Mm-hmm. So if you want to meet Ed Marlowe, you just drive but, down and say, hi, Ed. But were you were a young kid at the time, and you'd heard about the guy, or did he kind of surprise you, or how did that... Uh, well, uh, I was certainly familiar with the car edition, revolutionary card technique, mm-hmm. but... I started working behind the bar with Heba Haba Al, mm-hmm. north side of Chicago, at the Pickle Barrel, when I was a little bit underage. Okay. 16 <laughs> years old. But so by the time I was, let's say, 18 years old, mm-hmm. I mean, 17, 18, I'd been doing bar magic in Chicago uh, for some time. And prior to that, I did magic. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it, the first close up magician I ever saw that was just terrific in my view, was Jim Ryan. Now, Jim Ryan was working at the Ivanhoe. They had the catacombs. It's really a cool place. The regular magician was the fabulous Frank Everhart. Mm-hmm. So it was Frank Everhart's Magic Bar. And on Sundays, it, it was Jim Ryan. I see. Okay. So I had a friend, also a magician. He said, you got to see Jim Ryan. you got to see Jim Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I was... I didn't have a driver's license. I was maybe 14 years old. And so I went to see Jim Ryan, and it was fantastic. Change your life. just loved him, and people screamed. And they didn't scream because they were scared. I mean, they screamed because <laughs> yeah, they loved it. Yeah, surprise. Yeah, yeah. Man, he was just a fabulous uh, entertainer, performer, and uh, why that, is it- that was the first magician I saw. I mean, stage magician, sure, but the first close-up magician I ever saw that I thought was just absolutely terrific. He's someone who I think is lesser known uh, than other magicians, obviously Vernon and some others. I mean, he's not... Oh, Jim Ryan? Jim Ryan, exactly. Although he was the first person who was the guest of honor, I believe, at the 4F convention, even before Eddie Fector, I believe. Or he might have been number two. But he was a guest of honor. Yeah, well, he used to come here. Way back here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And... um, what was it? Uh, I say it impressed you. Obviously, it was just this card work or a little bit of coins, or was his personality presentation? Was he? I mean, it's really or? always the person. I mean, I think it's always the person. Well, there's Eddie Fector. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't just the magic; it was Eddie Fector, the person. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Heba Haba Al, Al Andrucci, uh, Jim Ryan. He's just 
just friendly, boisterous voice. I mean, he ran his own saloon mm-hmm. uh, for many, many years. He and his wife, Kitty, mm-hmm. and that's how he made a living. Right. You know, Ryan Saloon with a player piano. Hmm. I just said, oh, Randy, if you ever start a, you know, if you ever start a saloon, you got to have a player piano. That was <laughs> a tip for me, and I still resisted the urge. I do not have a player piano. <laughs> still. <laughs> still. Um, but Jim was a great guy, and... Uh, I loved watching him. He, he he essentially did the entire book, Card Magic of Paul Paul mm-hmm. by Paul Braden. He could do the entire book. Yeah. That and the Val Evans card rise and his cups and balls. I mean, that's what he how he made, made his living. Made it, yeah. And he was he was referred to as the darling of the Geritol set. He was mm-hmm. not a young man then, but he was very very good and. Uh, he did a lot of hospitality work and trade shows later on in life because he was just really a strong, a strong performer. Just one of the original corporate magicians, I guess, in a way. Well, like, like he, Eddie he came and, into it later in life because okay. he was running a running a his own saloon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did he finally close that and then pursue magic? I said, Matt, pursue that. I mean, the other. He did a lot of things. I mean, he taught magic. He was very involved. All the meetings. He taught a course at the St. Patrick High School. Mm-hmm. On Belmont Avenue, and I gra- I graduated from that. I still have the diploma. I mean, I took that. That <laughs> yeah. was uh, 1971, I believe. Mm-hmm. 1971, wow. and it was before I could drive. So, at where I was living, Joliet, to get to Chicago, it was away. I always found a way to get up there. Yeah, and I- that was terrific. And that was like every Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. And for how many weeks? Like six months or something? Or? No, no, no. Um, I'd have to check the diploma. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking 12, 12, okay. uh, 12 lessons, something like that. Yeah. And he would do basic stuff, but if you got there early or stayed late, he would... Give you a private lesson, kind of. Yeah, a little something a little more advanced, a little more... Mm-hmm. Uh, something you could work on and show him next week. But, uh, and we became good friends. So, but Jim was fantastic. He was just a great performer. And when you work with Heba Habayal, the thing, of course, he was most famous. Excuse me. What he was most famous for was, well, it was uh, the sugar cube. Excessive lubrication, like you're <laughs> demonstrating uh, right here. We have to keep you moist in warm weather. We don't uh, want you to dry out, Scott. No, that's true. <laughs> I don't think I I will. <laughs> When, uh, but he was uh, known for the sugar cube, uh, right? Where he would have like he'd put a, some graphite pencil on a, on a cube or something and transfer it into that was a signature trick. The other sugar mm-hmm. cube, I mean, and a lot of little bits. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a routine where he's stealing money from the cash register. You know, when you know, looking around, just a lot of bits mm-hmm. that would involve the entire bar. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's one guy that could just work the entire horseshoe shaped bar, just mm-hmm. the one man whirlwind and. For a lot of drinks. I mean, he was a bartender magician. Bartender first. So well, it was a GTF. GTF, right, yeah, right. About right. So it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean. But a GTFM, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. GTFM. Yeah. But he was, uh, it was the type of place, uh, people would come in, and they would stop off for a beer. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to stay in the whole night. It was just so great. Yeah. Uh, he was called Heba Habal because that was his magic word. Is that right? Say Heba, Heba, it came Heba. from uh, came from Hubba Hubba, which was oh. a term for 
a good-looking girl when you see hot mama. Hot, yeah, okay. You know, da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, an attractive girl. Mm-hmm. That was even my dad used that phrase. You know, mm-hmm. really good-looking girl. You just like, ooh, hubba hubba. Yeah. So it was hubba hubba, and then it morphed into heba hubba. Which he used, I guess, when he would do cups and balls or anything. When magic was supposed to happen, he would he would utter that phrase. Well, that was just he was heba hubba al. No, he, no, he didn't say that. Oh, he didn't before. say it. Okay, that was just something. Not all the time. Instead of saying Andruzzi, it was easier, I guess, to have that memorable name. But yeah, yeah it was just Heba Habal. Yeah, and you said you were working at the Ivanhoe as no, well. No, I work- never worked at the Ivanhoe. Oh. That was no the Pickle Barrel. You said that was the Pickle Barrel with Heba yeah. Habba at Howard and Western Pickle Barrel North. Okay, it, but you worked there with him at the Pickle Barrel. I did. Yeah, for how many years or how long was that? Oh, that's couple of years I could I, I could drive so I was 16 at least 16 and I was certainly shouldn't have been in there I was underage sure. but uh, I mean I didn't drink uh-huh. I mean I just but I was behind the bar right and Al loved it because you know he got tired of doing the bloody stuff mm-hmm. you know he was used to always joke he's like oh you know uh, when I was your age I couldn't wait to get the cards out now I can't wait to put them away and people would laugh, <laughs> yeah. and he meant it. He just couldn't wait to put him away because yeah. he'd done it for so long. Right. Um, when you were working, uh, how did the Chicago style of magic come about? I mean, there had already been something, and I say that because the Chicago style, as I understand it, is sitting at tables as opposed to when you're doing walk around standing at a table, which I, I, I do in no, most kind of situations. Much bar, no, pretty much sitting on a bar stool. You're oh. familiar with the technique. You're yeah, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chicago. I mean, part of it um, was Matt Shulian, mm-hmm. and Matt Shulian influenced a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So the old Shulians and the new Shulians, the New York Lounge. It was Jack Murray, I believe, who founded the original New York Lounge, and then it was moved to right there on Lincoln Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, right up from Magic Inc. And Hebahaba. Um, you know, he'd been at it for a long time. And Eddie Fecker was in Chicago for a while. Is that right? Not that I'm not, aware of. No? Okay. But he had come through because he was part of the, the round table. I thought, wasn't he or not? No. No. Okay. No. I thought for some reason. That no, he... Ed Marlowe knew Eddie Fecker. Yeah. I mean, they got together. They worked some conventions together. Mm-hmm. But no, Eddie Fecker was busy making a living. Here in New York. You know, at the Forks Hotel. Right. Which was his home. Mm-hmm. Oh, he lived at the Forks also upstairs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So it's a big deal if if, uh, if Eddie Fector invited you to come to the table, which he did. I mean, I met Eddie Fector before mm-hmm. I ever came to the convention, mm-hmm. and I was invited into the kitchen to sit at the table. Yeah. Well, that was his kitchen table. That's where he ate <laughs> all of his meals. Well, yeah, right himself yeah. And, and Evelyn. Right. I mean, that was their home. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that was what's great about back in the Forks on Friday night fish fry. That everybody would go through the kitchen and uh, and be served the fish uh, right there Evelyn's in the fish kitchen. Fry. Yeah. yeah, because originally mm-hmm. this convention it was only a day and a half, mm-hmm. right? So it started uh, free pop and beer or included pop and beer. Eddie just wanted to have a party and have people that love magic right. together, and there was full of laymen, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people came in just to enjoy the magic, right? And there was no extra or anything just come on in so it was packed right and uh yeah the convention just started friday afternoon mm-hmm. and it went through saturday night and that was it originally right right 
I started this off by talking about uh, underground magicians, and I know that Roger Klaus and a few other people have been termed as underground magicians. And there's some guys who really are who are not as well-known that really are some great workers. I've always thought of Gary Plants as being somebody like that, who is very unassuming and creates some really strong magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, Gary Plants has, has worked hard at it for many, many years, mm-hmm. and... It's only now that he's retired from teaching that he's really performing magic and going on cruise ships and doing some things, so that way he's doing it more for the public, because he really wasn't doing public shows. I just think he enjoyed working with magicians and hanging out with uh, I think he still does. Well, of course he does, yes, yeah. Uh, But would you say that's kind of what you have done? I mean, when I said an underground magician, do you consider yourself as an underground magician or not? No, not at all. Not at all? No? No, not at all. What do you consider yourself? Would you say a a worker, a... uh, uh, a professional, a hobbyist, th- just a regular guy that does a couple cool things. That's all. <laughs> like no, that. because I, I started doing magic at a very early. I did balloon gold banquets. I mean, I uh-huh. did stage. I did a lot of balloon gold banquet shows, and we're talking about you know ten, eleven years old. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I read everything I could um, from the library, mail order stuff, Johnson Smith Company. You know, I mean, I bought my Svengali deck. I was I don't know, seven or eight years old at mm-hmm. Key County Fair. So, no, I enjoyed performing it. Yeah. And, uh, but, and I gave shows, Yeah, you know, for yeah. money as a, as a very young man. Yeah. And, of course, uh, you know, through high school. And that's how I got my spending money in college was uh, sorority parties mm-hmm. and frat parties, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Right. And some local television. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... So, yeah, obviously that you were doing things professionally. I mean, at the Pickleball or Merrill and other places, like you Mr. Say, C's Magic Lounge from the from the time it opened with, you know, uh, Jimmy Cars, Jimmy okay. Molinari. Molinari, yeah. Right, and there B- in Berwyn. And then uh, uh, Bill Malone, then later you said? Yeah, I mean, I worked at the New York Lounge uh, on and off and uh, Houdini's Pub. Mm-hmm. That was owned by... Bill, he had the Houdinis, is that right? Or It was owned by Tom and Barb Balsowicz. Okay. And uh, Tom and Barb, Tom had a factory job at Panduit, and Barb was always very smart. Hmm. Uh, and she had ran a travel agency called Magic Travel yeah. um, right up the street, and they bought, you know... It, they would come in to Mr. C's, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, big big Bill Malone fans and big Magic fans mm-hmm. in general. And they wanted to open up a Magic... Well, it was a restaurant. I mean, you pizza, sandwiches. Uh, they had tables in the small stage mm-hmm. and, and close-ups. So that was actually, it was actually Tom and Barb that bought the place and renovated it and named it Houdini's Pub. When I talk with Robin Leach, who you know is the host of uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and uh, I was talking with him about the evolution of magic in Las Vegas and everything, but I was asking him also about magic in general, and uh, he said, you want to know who my favorite magician is? It's Bill Malone. He said, I've hired him to do private parties in different places. He said, I just think he's the best. Bill, just a uh, really great guy. Uh, also, when- Especially uh, with champagne kisses and when caviar dreams come true. Right, you yeah. got to have Bill. <laughs> That's right. That's right, and he does. It, it, but in later years, then, and I say later, like like the last, let's say, fifteen twenty years, you had you'd written the book. What's the title of the book again? 
Right. I've written several books. I know, but the one I was thinking of that was the... Okay. Uh, what was your first book? Formula One Close-Up. Formula One. That was it. Right. Okay. With special effects. Mm-hmm. And Randy Wakeman Presents, Rainbow Deck Book, and various you know magazine contributions. Right. And the whole slew of VHS videos and, and right. DVDs. And have you, it seems popular nowadays, uh, a lot of people doing penguin lectures and things. You've done a penguin lecture, I believe, too. No. Didn't you? you haven't done one of those yet? No, okay. no. Okay. Most I've been asked several times, and it's like, why would I want to do that? Because you've already got your own DVDs and other ways of putting it out yourself rather than marketing it through a third no, party. No, Tim Toronto comes like, yeah, you ready to do a penguin lecture? It's like, what, what are you calling me? I mean... Are you just out of people? Are you desperate? What's going on here? <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, it's fine mm-hmm. if, if you want to do that. I mean, if you're starting out and you want to get some street cred and you want to make a name for, a, for yeah. yourself in the magic community, I mean, it's not going to help you but with trade show work or right. you know, hospitality suite work. But if that's what you want to do, uh, if you've got product that you want to market, sure, it's great. Mm-hmm. Right. But right. I mean, for me... No, not so great. You've, you've kind of got everything out there that you want then right now, and you've well, been, you've you know, lectured. I, I mean, uh, the Penguin deal is not a good deal for me at all. Mm-hmm. First class transportation to... Fair enough. To, to where, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, I think this is fair. Um, it's set up uh, where... Whatever you're paid, mm-hmm. you'll never see another time. You're supposed to get royalties, da 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 da, da you know, percentage of the profits and all that stuff. You'll never see another dime. Mm. It's like, oh, we'll fly you down and you know, uh, take you out to dinner. You know, we'll get you, you know, beautiful room suite and all that stuff. Right. That's an expense. So you're paying for it. So mm-hmm. before you can see a nickel of royalties, I mean, all the stuff that they're paying for you, uh, that's cost yeah that's true and that's time and, away and whoever's doing you know where dan harlan or whatever everybody's got to be paid and they should be sure sure so i mean for me no it's just not have you it's not a good deal but for other people it it is so i mean i, I they're, not, they're not doing anything wrong i don't want my remarks to be construed as like it's a dig or right you know the, we've got adults that decide that you know, it's mutually beneficial, and then you do it. And if you don't want to do it, you know, don't do it. It's the same way with on, on television, like America's Got Talent or Penn and Teller Foolish. What is your reason for wanting to do that? You want to get notoriety? Do you want to get butts in the seat because you have a theater? You know, you have sure, to realize. Sure, have you re- ever read the America's Got Talent contract? I have seen it, yes. Yeah, okay. So it's just whatever you do, it's they all it. theirs. Yeah. I mean, all the outtakes, yep. uh, fluffs. And they can do if anything they want with it. you say something naughty backstage, it's on t- they own it all. Mm-hmm. And, and they could use it any way they want and put you in any light they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think essentially in perpetuity. I mean, you, just, yeah. you give up any and all rights to whatever happens during the competition. But it still worked out great for some people, but for very few. Right. Well, it wasn't until recent years, speaking of America's Got Talent, uh, before magicians really kind of came into their own where they started appreciating us more. Yeah, where you have, yeah, a magician can win America's Got Talent. Yeah. It's like, who knew? Right. Because it's, how do you compare a magic act to 
a gymnast or a tw- uh, 20, 25 acrobats flying across the screen, or you mm-hmm. know, I mean, this or singers, comedians. I mean, it's pretty, pretty difficult. Right. Yeah, it is. Uh, going back to the things that you've already done, as far as the books and DVDs and whatnot, have you got new material that you're always working on? Have you got something kind of in the pipeline now that you're thinking about? But there's no deadline on it. No, I mean, well, that's a nice uh, thing too. Yeah, I mean, there's no deadline. Uh, nothing is coming out soon. Imminent. Okay. No. When you have ideas, then are you just putting them in the computer and then you kind of file those, or do you work on them and where do you work on them? I mean, do you you show some friends? Notebooks and files, Mm -hmm. and you know, how many books do you want to put out? Uh, Right. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's. I don't care. I, I'm not Ed Marlowe. I mean, it's not like there's going to be just this uh, constant stream of material. I mean, that's not the point. If I put another book, another book, it has to be better than uh, Randy Wiggum presents, and mm-hmm. that was you know, my, the, my best stuff. The stuff that I used night after night and performed again and again and again. And that was your most recent, wasn't it? Which was kind of like the best. Well, it was the hardbound book, kind of it, yeah. The hardbound book. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean. The reason to put out a book would be it's just got to have some really good magic in it. Mm-hmm. Not good ideas for magic, but stuff that is performable and gets a good reaction from audiences. And uh, Well, I think that's what it's all about, just like you were talking about Jim Ryan and Eddie Fector, you know, from the standpoint that it's the and he have al uh, it's it's a personality presentation they were uh, all just wonderful characters and that's yeah, something that's probably lost a little bit because you know we've had a lot of characters mm-hmm. eccentric crazy you know a bunch of everything in magic right and some of the some of the characters the more flamboyant characters of years gone by we just don't have that anymore not like we did that's true and the few that we do have uh, let's say you know i think matt king has got a nice personality but also he has a persona on stage as well as steve bragazzi and a few people you know Matt but, king's terrific yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I, i've seen his show more often than not when i'm in vegas i go mm-hmm. see his show i've not since he moved oh yeah uh, from, from harris uh i i haven't seen it but yeah mac does a great job people love him sure and that's what i'm saying and he's it's, been at it for a long time by now oh uh, he has very uh, successful uh but and when I was saying character, he has a character, but that's not the kind of character you're talking about as far as being kind of a, uh, a pistol, I guess, would be way of kind of putting it. You know, when you talk about Eddie Fector or uh, Jim Ryan, some of these guys, the way that they can kind of ride the line. Mike Hammer, that'd be a guy I would say probably is a character. Mike Hammer? Mm-hmm. Stacy Keach you're talking about? <laughs> Uh, you know, he works the Four Queens. Uh, Mike's got a great act. I think one of the best uh, in, in showbiz out there. And the way that he handles the audiences, he's like the Don Rickles of magic, it seems like. You know, where he has just this impish kind of a character. And so, and that's why I say he does have, he, he is a character, you know. Uh, it, it, because the word character has two kind of definitions. Well, what I, I mean, I, I mean in a, in a positive well, sense. Well, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a bit. A person, ambiance, a performing style that's memorable. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I mean. A memorable character. Yeah. And something, yeah, that yeah, people are going to remember and that they like and they want to come back and see the person sure. then again. Um, they yeah. don't want it to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, they wish it would never stop. They're having such a great time. And when they leave, 
uh, they just can't wait to come back and bring some friends. It's like, oh, you got to see this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that was, but but Jim Ryan, uh, Heba Haba. I mean, it was um, magic was only part of it. You know, it was the person, the sending blood defector. Right. Right. Okay, listeners, we're going to uh, take a break here where we're going to stop talking about this particular subject and move on to another only because this is beginning of our conversation that we had when we were in St. Louis. So here's Randy. It's, I mean, it's nice to have an event where people have a good time and not have a pile of unpaid bills that you need to deplete your savings account for. But even the IBM and SAM, you know, where the conventions are not making money like they used to, and I know the TAOM. But it's tough for live events all over. I mean, it's tough for JC's Lions Club, I think Moose, I think really. People are not joiners the way we used to. Well, and COVID changed a lot of things. I think prior to that, it was just kind of going down. It killed the the trade show industry, it killed the cruise ships. and there is inflation, so dollars don't go as far as they used to. Did so. you do much stuff during uh, COVID? Any Zoom shows or uh, no. teaching or anything? I no. mean, when I when I listened to Doug Kahn, who had embraced that, and he's got a whole new career with uh, doing things on YouTube and social media and, and making a major part of his income from those kinds of things. Uh, from exposure, you mean? To people. <laughs> that's another whole subject, yeah. <laughs> uh, I talked with uh, Vinny and uh, Glenn yesterday about uh, that, and but it's not uh, – he doesn't no, that, see no, this – I thing. mentioned yeah. that just to be a bit – Controversial. Frisky. No, just to frisky. be a bit frisky. Yeah, that, yeah, that's all. No, I mean that – there's no um, there's no res- resolution to that. And, uh, you know, the – People have said that more magic is exposed by bad magicians than all the people that intentionally try to expose sure. it. And we've had tricks in Cracker Jack boxes and cereal boxes and magic sets. Right. But, you know, go buy a magic set or you can buy anything you want uh, on Amazon, mm-hmm. and that's not exposure. But if someone does a video, it's exposure. I'm not buying that. I right. mean, it's... You know, magic dealers, magic masters, um, shops, mm-hmm. souvenir shops that their clients are tourists. Right. I so mean, they're not Adam's there tricks serious magicians. Yeah. I think if it was a so-called serious magicians, there wouldn't yeah. be any magic shops at all. Yeah. So yeah. you so you rely on a healthy base of amateurs, people that have interest in magic or at least some interest in magic, for magic shops to survive. Yeah. And whether it's Matt King uh, does a great job, terrific performer, very successful performer out in Vegas, doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Matt King has the Matt King magic set. You know, he has all his goodies and right. trinkets, but so did Penn and Teller. Right. Right? And there's a Penn and Teller magic kit. Well, Lance Burton did. I mean, everybody did. Sure. You know, yeah, so, I mean, so people, I think, get cranked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because. Uh, in Chicago years ago, they had uh, uh, trick and treat with the magic hands, which teach tricks. Mm-hmm. They would do the trick, and then they come back and give you the explanation. It was, you know, a little lecture thing on Garfield Goose, WGN Channel 9. Uh-huh. And people didn't get cranked up about it. Now, some people did get their noses been out of shape with Marshall Brodine and TV magic cards. And, hi, let me show you a trick that's even more <laughs> amazing. But... You know, there have been uh, Svengali, 
I was eight or nine years old when I bought my first Svengali deck at the Kankakee County Fair. It was two bucks, mm-hmm. which was, that was my cash, you yeah. know, for the weekend of the fair because I'm a kid. Da, 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 da. But I was fascinated with it, and I bought a, I bought a Svengali deck. So, Pitchman and... That's what got you started in Magic well, I was always fascinated with it on TV, but yeah, I mean, my first magical purchase was uh, Svengali. When it got into your hands, then it's like, hey, this is kind of cool. Sure, I ordered things from Johnson Smith Company, and of course, mm-hmm. read everything I could at the library, everything about magic, and saw all the magic I could, and if there was a magician that I could get to, uh, I would go see him. Yeah. And uh, it's great. I mean, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And there, you can have a great time with magic. I guess there is one thing that I'd like to say that is, to me, important. You can have a great time with magic, and you don't have to be a full-time professional magician. I mean, it's a great icebreaker. It's great in sales. It's great uh, with clients. It's... Uh, motivational speakers or teachers or people also to try to get attention for the groups. Sure. No, if it's interesting, intriguing, and amazing, it's good for anybody that's that's working with clients, working with salesmen, mm-hmm. customers. I mean, it's, yeah. it sets you apart, but and people have fun with it. Yeah. For example, Heba Haba Al. You know, the first time I worked behind the bar was working for Heba Haba Al. Wow. A little bit underage at the time <laughs> uh, there at Howard and Western. Well, Heba uh, Haba was terrific, but he was a bartender magician. So his job was a bartender. I mean, he wasn't a magician bartender or a magician at a bar. He was there to, you know, GTFM, you've heard yeah, the phrase? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doc Heason yeah. uses that a lot. Uh, what's that? I said Doc Heason uses that phrase a lot. Though. Well, that's Heba Haba, but yeah, I mean, if, uh, uh, you know, if you can't move any drinks, there's no bar, there's no income. The mm-hmm. Bartenders aren't getting paid. Waitresses aren't, aren't getting paid. So what's... Did you work at other clubs also? Because there was a period of time in which there were... Uh, Chicago was a hotbed of magic bars. Absolutely uh, it yeah. was, yes. So I I worked at... Uh, yeah, I worked with Heba Haba at the Pickle Barrel at Howard & Western. That's... That was the cross street, Howard and Western, or was that the yes. name? Of the, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's where the pickle That's yes, at yeah, Howard and Western. That's the location. And um, I worked at Mr. C's Magic Lounge in Berwyn, Berwyn. from Berwyn, <laughs> from the time it opened uh, for Hugh Cosgrove and uh, and his partner Denny Aloya, Jimmy Molinari, and and I worked there from the day it opened uh, to the day it closed. And worked uh, on and off New York Lounge and later on Houdini's Pub with Bill Malone. Uh, did you ever work over at uh, Shulian's? No, I did not. Okay. No, Shulian's normally had their one house magician. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, Chuck, Don Allen at one time, but it was uh, Chuck Morris for a while. Later in, his, later in life, uh, Heba Haba worked at Shulian's. There was another guy, by the way, that uh, his name's Chuck. It just occurred to me. He died uh, many years ago. I can't remember his name, but he was in Chicago. Did close up. Does that name ring a bell? Uh, uh, a good dead. He, Chicago yeah. He, well, magician. he he died of AIDS. I one of the early 
people uh, who died oh, of AIDS. Oh, yes, yes. I do remember that because AIDS was a new thing yeah, back then. Right, it right. was Chuck Stanfield. Stanfield, that was who it was. Chuck Stanfield, who worked at Magic Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they had a he, – he did have AIDS. Mm-hmm. And Jay Marshall said, well, to celebrate his life, says have a magic show. So they had a big magic show. Um for Chuck and Chuck performed. I mean, he was getting pretty sickly at the time, and mm-hmm. it was it was I was there. It was a good event. Yeah, I recall also speaking of another one that there was supposed to be some sort of a tribute to uh, Jay Marshall when he had passed, and um, I think Max Maven and Penn and Teller had come out uh, for that. Were you part of that? No, you know I what I'm talking not. about. No, but I knew Jay very very well. Yeah, you probably got some great stories about him too. Well, yeah, I have a few. <laughs> Lay one on me. I have a few. No, Jay was a lot of fun. He he had a great sense of humor, but he also had a he had kind of a nasty side to him. So he could uh, really jab people when he wanted to. So he was a he had an impish sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. But that's well. How well did you know Jay? I mean, that's just the, he had a mean streak in him. Mm-hmm. He was always nice to me. I remember uh, one night. I was there to say at night. It was actually close to closing uh, for Magic, Inc. And he said, well, let's go to dinner. And we went over, I want to say, the New York Lounge and uh, saw some magician, you know, come to our table and work. But uh, he was just, when I've been around him at uh, IBM conventions, other places, he was uh, always nice, but always had some sort of a gag or something funny or a funny story to tell and things, you know. And he took me back well, and showed yeah, me a little well, labyrinth. Well, he could be brutal. Um, Bob Reed was in town. Mm-hmm. And Bill Malone was working a few of the clubs. So uh, Bill's always been a good worker, but he had the big afro and he had horrible teeth, broken teeth yeah. and green. I mean, really, really nasty. And uh, Bob Reed was there, and Jay Marshall brought a big, huge mirror. He says, you know what your problem is? Take a look. <laughs> he held a mirror right in front of him. <laughs> yep. And Bill was ticked about it, but, of course, Jay was right because – you know, That's what it, people see whenever that they're looking it's at the you. The first thing they see are your, your teeth. And here's a guy that with broken teeth, green teeth, and it's just he doesn't care mm-hmm. and uh, got his teeth fixed. As a result of that? I mean, Absolutely. That was something- As a direct result of that. I mean, Jay embarrassed him, mm-hmm. but it was kind of like tough love because yeah. uh, it helped out Bill, yeah. Bill's career. Yeah. I remember also that Francis, for a while, lived there. Uh, she had a cot. I guess downstairs behind uh, the counter uh, at, at Magic Inc. Do you remember that? Francis Marshall uh, living there? Yes, no? Well, they both lived there. Well, I know, but I mean, I remember when... That was home. Yeah, but they had upstairs where he they would go, but I guess as she got more ill, she didn't go upstairs, and I think she stayed downstairs. Jay was... Uh, Jay really did a good job taking care of Francis, but, uh, but she had dementia, and um, she was down the street at the Swedish Covenant home. So she was in a care facility. And at that time, um, it was very expensive. And Jay didn't have the money t- to cover it. Mm. So it was at that time that he sold uh, his poster collection and a goodly portion of his collection to David Copperfield. Mm-hmm. But David Copperfield didn't take it right away. He was only going to take possession of it upon Jay Marshall's death. Mm-hmm. So it worked out good because Jay had plenty of money to take care of Francis, 
no more financial worries. Francis was being taken care of well. Mm-hmm. Jay wasn't stressed out about funds. And David Copperfield eventually would get the, right. the collection. And that's exactly what happens. And so, so Jay that, got to keep his collection until he was gone. So it wasn't like he was missing it. He, it's still there. No, it was all his uh, yeah. uh, uh, until, he, until he checked out. So it was a very clear-eyed decision. It was great. That was another amazing thing. Whenever I went back and looked at the, those catacombs, I call them, you know, that where they had those posters all rolled up and everything. It was just, I felt like I was down in the pits sure, of Rome. You're going back, I mean, of course, you're going back prior to Magic Inc. You're going back to when it was Ireland's. Oh. Laurie Ireland, mm-hmm. you know, that's obviously Francis's first yeah. husband, and yeah, he right. he passed, and then Jay Marader. That's it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of history there, and uh, but you know, Jay, uh, he did have a a bit of a wicked sense of humor. Um, but, but but he really loved magic. He brought a lot of people in. He worked very hard to bring people in for his hardcore lecture group. Yeah. And it was five bucks a lecture or to be a hardcore member. It was like five dollars, and then the lectures were five dollars. And he would work hard at bringing people in from all over the place. There was a story he had told once, and I'm going to have you complete this if you remember this, uh, about some peanuts that he had uh, beside his table, and he was offering some peanuts and. And he said, well, they're not chocolate-covered peanuts, you know. But they and used to be. I have no idea okay, know what I'm talking about. Where he was, <laughs> Where he was offering some take some peanuts, and, and he was saying, well, they used to be chocolate-covered peanuts, but I sucked the chocolate off, and so now they're just peanuts. You know, they put back, spit back on I've heard the gag, but I've never heard. Okay, I didn't know that was a real that. story. It was just a gag. Okay, that's so funny. But, and, and people would come in town. And, of course, Jay performed a lot. Uh, I think it was... How many appearances on, on Ed, Ed Sullivan? Sullivan yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so he was really a New York guy. Did he tour with the troops also and go to USO shows and that kind of a thing, do you know? I don't know exactly. He certainly did a lot of work uh, in England. Yeah. Um, he knew a lot of British magicians. And he would bring over people that you wouldn't normally see. Mm-hmm. And he would get local gigs and uh, shows for him, book a church, book a hall down the street, advertise it and a lot of people would show up like Jeffrey Buckingham I don't know oh, if you ever met Jeffrey Buckingham yeah. you ever watch him work yeah I did he was actually I think a past president uh, or I was sorry yeah he was past president of the uh, British ring of magicians I okay, believe yeah. that could be mm-hmm. that could I think be. he may have even been the past international president of the IBM I'm not sure but yes I have no, I remember a, a lot of great folks you know Ali Bongo of course Pat and, Page uh, Pat Page Pat Page was fabulous very underrated I think oh I well, when you say underrated, I mean he's he's rated high. And if you think that still is underrated, rated, even he's higher. He's rated a lot higher. Yeah. yeah, because he just had a he had a great mind and a great sense of magic, and there was some politics involved. That's too bad. Uh, over a book that he published. Which which book was that? Uh, the big book that was considered an expose because it was uh, exposure because it was available. It was published, uh, sold to the general public, not just through magic shops. Oh. So you could, get it, you could get it, you know, at your normal Barnes and Noble or the equivalent, right? And he got kicked out of the Magic Circle for that because there were too many good secrets in there, not just because like general. Because it was sold to the public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember that Henry Hay uh, got chastised. Well, David Devon got kicked out, and then they brought him back. 
Okay. You know, so I'm surprised it didn't. Scarney uh, 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 on card tricks? I mean, uh, look at all the Dover publications. Did Patrick ever come back, or was oh, he? Yeah. Okay, I thought yeah. that he had. Yeah. yeah, they realized they were being twi- British twits. Yeah, I mean, it's like he's given so much to magic. It's like, yeah. so like but I, you still have to read it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not being foisted on anybody. That's true. That's so, true. It, it, and it was teaching. It wasn't. Oh, this is how it's done. Yeah. So. Um, well, that's true, and that kind of goes back to uh, talking about exposure and magic. You know, if you trip across something, it's like, well, I wasn't planning on watching it. For an example, whenever they had the Mass Magician, I remember um, my daughter-in-law was at the time dating my son, and and she was working as a waitress in, in a sports bar, and there was the Mass Magician that came on, and there were some guys watching. She went up and changed the channel, uh, saying, "Hey, my my." future father-in-law is a magician said you guys shouldn't be watching this as exposure he said this is sports bar you should be watching sports anyhow but you know she was the point is and teller were criticized for exposure they were remember they were called the bad boys of magic you know well i think they called themselves the bad boys of magic <laughs> yeah. just to make themselves a little more it. controversial sure, sure. because they're not really that bad yeah. well, <laughs> they're not bad boys but they did do at, you at know the, the cups and balls you know with the plastic see, cups see-through tables and things like mm-hmm. that and uh I think they had everybody in the audience produce a silk with a thumb tip, and they did mm-hmm. some stunts that people, oh, my God, you can't do that. Yeah, but in the early days, I recall that when they were working at the, uh, uh, was that called the New York Lounge? or No, it was the New York Lounge. It was something like that that wasn't too far from the castle. And I went to see the show. I was working the castle then back in the early 80s and went over to uh, see them when they were had MoFo, the uh, mind-reading or psychic gorilla, you know, doing all that. And they were doing the uh, Casey at the Bat with, uh, sure. you know, all that. No, I, every time they were in Chicago, they were played the Blackstone Theater. I go and see them, and they they were terrific years yeah. ago, yeah. and they're terrific today. Yeah, they've really grown into it. But my I mean, point they're, is, they're fabulous. back then I remember the controversy was when Bill Larson, of course, was running Genie Magazine. That was when he was saying, oh, this is bad for magic because they're exposing magic. And there might have been uh, some publicity involved with that, in which they were trying to become the bad boys of magic. You know? Well, Bill Larson could say that... Uh, Martinis are bad for magic, and he, he proved it. Who am I? What what am I doing here? Wow, Irene, how about another? So, I mean, but to sit in judgment or say that one thing is bad for magic. Uh, well, it, it, all that know, I'm saying it, is it's, you, it's ridiculous. If you kind of trip across something that you weren't going to be looking for anyhow, I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole again with, uh, with, with YouTube, but in finding something that's going to be, for the general public, I would think, you know. But if you're going to be having something that's going to be a little bit more detailed, like Pat Page's book, perhaps, that shouldn't be open for the public. You know, I just was talking with Elise Matos, who has a great idea. In his book, the pages are folded such that the secret is in the fold. If you kind of get what I'm talking about, the uh, you actually have to rip the page open to open those two pages to see the secret inside. So in other words, it have the effect on one page, and the next page you have a picture of it or whatever. But the pages will be folded, and then the other loose ends essentially are bound into the, the binding. So if you want to see the secret and learn that, you actually have to rip open the uh, that to get well, to the secret. I don't think good magic uh, can really be exposed. Mm-hmm. If you... Uh, have you ever seen Teller's uh, routine, uh, uh, the, the ball and the, the ball. string? Oh, sure. Yes, yes. Brilliant. Well, and what is it? A ball and the string. Yeah. <laughs> but it's mind-blowing and it's beautiful. It is. It is nice. Right? So, yeah. I mean, uh, so expose that. 
Well, now, we're getting into something. This is interesting. Again, going back to Lee Stamatos, in which he was talking about we need to learn, share, and collaborate, meaning that our art has not moved forward in 10,000 years, or however far back it that first started. it's enduring. It, it is enduring, but what has changed, basically nothing, as opposed to, in his example, let's say cinema, that was you know, invented, as he said, like yesterday, in comparison with magic. So it came about in the eight, late 1800s, and the way that it has evolved from silent films to talkies, you know, from black and white to color, and the uh, better quality, not only of the images, but also the sound, and look how that has grown because people have shared and uh, learned and collaborated with each other, whereas the magicians, we magicians, keep secrets thinking the secret is the secret, when really the presentation is secret. I mean, what Matt King is doing is doing something that perhaps other magi- any magicians can be doing, theoretically, but it's only him. You can, you're, you're buying Matt not, King. It's not about the secret. I mean, it's about entertainment. Precisely my point. I mean, you, you, people are, it's not fun to be fooled. It's not fun to be made a fool of, right. that thing. Um, it's not. Um, but to feel, to, uh, to feel wow, to be amazed... To be surprised in a magical way, that's great. Now, Penn and Teller, how many years have they been doing Penn and Teller Fool Us? For Very, ten, ten years. Right? Very successful. Mm-hmm. Very simple set, you know, and well-received when they first did it, I think it was in the, in the U.K., but it's a long-running thing, and people enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that an exposure show at all. It's not. No, uh, because they're not explaining secrets or how things are done. I like the verbiage that Penn uses that is very cleverly, I don't know if it's scripted, but it's very well said. No, so he's not uh, to... Penn's good at that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he you really know, is. he would say, yeah, I mean, does Harlan Tarbell ring a bell, you know, or... <laughs> um, you know, really want brim, to mention. Uh, the brim and nut or whatever reference he would make. No, it's very good. Yeah, because it's he, not something that great people can go back then and, and Google. So if he would say a name of a trick, then he knows that they can go and Google it and figure it out. But if he says something that's more discreet, then it's harder to figure out what he the magician understands. The book understand. and the page number, I mean, he'll right. just make a reference to so-and-so, and it's enough to... Yeah. Yeah. People can say, well, yes or no. And, yeah. uh, well, no, he, he does it very, very, he does it elegantly. I have to give yeah. him credit. Yeah, no, he does a good job. I mean, and, that's why, I, and really. So there's uh, no exposure there. You know. No, no, it's entertainment. It's right. all for fun. Right. And the premise is good. Um, well, the ratings obviously are proving that it's successful because, again, yeah, 10 years. Yeah, you know? it's good for magic. And you're giving uh, a lot of people exposure that they would never, where else are they going to get that type of exposure? You're not. And I would think that's something, again, like America's Got Talent, people have to go on there thinking this is something that I've got, I'm going to put butts in the seats or I've got something I want to sell. I mean, there's a reason why you want to do that. Uh, I would think it's because of the uh, promotion that you can get out of that to try to book other shows. Well, yeah. I think Penn and Teller really do a lot for magic. Yeah. I, I, I really do. Mm-hmm. Now that I think of it, I think they're underrated uh, in that regard. Yeah, they, they have really have done because a lot. Because they've been for a long time. I mean, they certainly don't need to work. I mean, we're well beyond this. They just love magic. Yeah. And they love experimenting and improving. And uh, Well, they found a nice niche, and I think that's great. And, again, I started over in the U.K., and to think that is something that has been one of the very few shows that's come over and been successful in the U.S., having originally there. But, yeah, I mean, I've seen the show at the Rio, and it's generally sold out. I think it's always sold out, and 
they do a great job. Everybody has a good time, and uh, I think they get better all the time, particularly Penn. I think Penn has really matured in, a, in all the good ways that a performer can mature. He's, he's very good. Mm-hmm. He writes a lot. You know, he writes a lot about tech, and he's, he has all kinds of books as his teller. But just as a performer, he, uh, he, he really gets good. I mean, he used to be kind of the, the chubby, hairy, you know, the hippie yeah. thing. And he's more of a gentleman uh, on stage than, than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So he handles himself real well, and Teller's always been excellent. I mean, well, we were the, talking about a uh, couple of the best we have. In talking about some of the people that we have mentioned then already, is there someone that's more of a favorite, someone that you not only think maybe is underrated, but maybe someone who is not as well-known or maybe an underground magician or someone that you respect or, you know, who's one of your favorite magicians? No, none, none. You, none you're, you're your own. No, 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 no. <laughs> Sadly, a lot of them uh, have left us. You know, we had interviews about, about Eddie, Eddie Marlowe, mm-hmm. um, because Andy Gladwin's uh, putting out the magazines, apparently, mm-hmm. and Josh Jay. But, you know, it's, it's not really healthy to compare everything to everything. You can't. Everyone's, you know, a little different. You, know, you mentioned like, Haba Al, for an example. He was different than, than Matt Shulian. I mean, everyone's got their own style, you know. Wildly different. You know, Heba Haba Al was probably the best there ever was in his environment, hmm. uh, you know, hustling the bar. I mean, he was a hmm. one-man whirlwind. In his environment, really? he was fantastic. I only saw him once, and it wasn't in his environment. I actually saw him at a magic convention. Okay. That would be rare. I mean, uh, it, he used to work for the White Sox in spring training. You know, they'd bring him in. So, I mean, he, he was popular. He did a lot of work, uh, you know, outside of the bar. But in his environment, he was just absolutely terrific. One guy that can hustle a bar and just turn everything into a party and keep everybody entertained. And with some of the little skits, uh, fabulous. But that was his environment. And, of course, that environment isn't uh, all that common these days it's it's not and there really aren't any bars like that i mean there's in chicago there's chicago magic lounge but it's really more of a club i guess like My, uh, yes yeah I, and i've not been up there sadly shame on me but uh no i mean we had magic bars all over the place we had uh we had mr c's we Your had a little bit of magic um I is he rizzy's ivanhoe for a time yeah, Frank Everhart and uh, Jim Ryan. The first time I saw really good close-up magic was at the Ivanhoe. Was Jim Ryan? Really? Yeah. Okay. Did Jim Ryan do some uh, trade shows also? Yes, he did. Yeah, I was thinking he was kind of known for that. Well, show. he ran a saloon. It was Ryan's saloon mm-hmm. that he performed magic at for years and years and years. He loved magic, and he, yes, he lectured. And yeah, he was the darling of the Geritol set, and <laughs> he certainly did do. A lot of corporate work in his later years at the Palmer House and McCormick Place. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he did do a lot of trade show work. Speaking of the Geritol set, that reminds me of someone who actually, uh, boy, golly, who's the guy that had all the uh, electronic and magnet uh, stuff in the table? Um, That's the way I would describe it. You said Del Rey. Del Rey. Yeah. Well, yeah. Del Rey was fantastic. Yeah. There was a guy, and it seems like he had worked for the mob or something way back when or there was he had some connections to that you've you ever heard that than i do no okay. no no okay. well, i, I don't know anything about that no del ray was always a good worker he was mm-hmm. a great he worked for blackstone yeah. senior for a while he was a great sleight of hand artist mm-hmm. and he'd show up at the table and say hello to 
say hello to Marlowe, but uh, Jack Pyle, Ed Marlowe, they all had tremendous respect for Del Rey. Mm-hmm. But it, when you talk about the table, it's like he was a good worker without the table. Sure. I mean, I've seen him work, and he was just he was good. Uh-huh. He was the real deal. Yeah. He, so so Del Rey was very very good. Certainly he was one of a kind. I don't know anybody else who has done that before or since. I mean, he had uh, something that was well before its time. You know. I would say, and certainly it's been duplicated. You know, the table's been duplicated, but you can't duplicate Delray. You can't duplicate, and that kind of gets to my earlier point of saying that you can buy magic and do magic, but it's the person, it's the personality and the, and the performance that is really, that, that makes the magic. So that's why we maybe shouldn't be so secretive of the, our, our secrets. Well, I wouldn't be paranoid about it. That's I mean, because if you, if, you don't, if you don't have a, a sincere interest in it, it's like you'll turn the page. Well, that's true. That's true. Right? Go watch the next Iron Man or Marvel comics thing. You have to have an interest. Mm -hmm. So you could go out and you could mail out Harry the Rings left us recently. Close-up guard magic. Yeah. Great book there. Man, that was Absolutely. And um, anybody that studies close-up card magic can do entertaining card magic mm-hmm. for, for people. That particular Practical. book, I think, would be in my five-foot bookshelf. But, but, but what if you mailed out a copy of Close-Up Card Magic to everybody in the United States? Do you think there would be more magicians? I would say no. 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 Not one. Mm-hmm. So you have to have an interest. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go out and perform and get feedback and... Uh, you, know, you just have to have a feeling for the thing. Well, you do. You do have to have that. Otherwise, it's not important to you. And if it is important to you, then you'll presumably come to magic conventions. You'll have magic. You'll like to see old friends, meet new friends. But presumably, one of the main reasons is to become a better magician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Well, Whether, even if it's just a bit or a line or maybe a handling that you can use to improve what you already do. Um, that's part of the journey. But it, it's not going to break you out of your shell. Well, take it back. It, it could break you out of a shell because there are a lot of young kids who get involved because they can do a trick. And suddenly... That's another bad thing with the title because uh, you don't see too many y- younger people here. And I don't, I don't mean teenagers. teenagers yeah. I, mean, I mean, you don't see too many people here in their 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And there should be. Yeah. But I'm just saying that with younger people, they can find magic as something because they may not be good at sports or whatever else, and then they find magic as being something that they can do, and suddenly they are the life, not just of the party, but also they have the respect of their peers all of a sudden. Well, you can be good at sports and... uh, And and, and magic, too. And do magic. True, too. No, that's the old caricature, right? Because this is uh, Revenge of the Nerds. This is (laughs) the nerdy kid who is afraid to talk to anybody, so he does the appearing cane. Yeah. You know, but that's that's not the case. Um, you mentioned Simon Lovell briefly then earlier, and I do want to ask uh, about no, that. You mentioned him extensively earlier. I, well, I did before we started into this uh, this, this have, conversation here. Have you spoken here. to my buddy Simon lately? I have not spoken to Simon for years. I was talking with Lee Hathaway recently, and Lee apparently talks with him on some sort of a regular, pretty regular basis. To the point, I mean, he said like pretty much every night I'm talking with him, and he said, you know, Simon, I'm going to have to go. You know, maybe maybe we can not do tomorrow night. You know, <laughs> because I think he just 
just needs to have someone that he's, well, needs Roger, to talk to. Roger well. Nico is over there. Yeah. We would see Simon, you know, when he's at the circle or whatever. Well, he's, you know, Bath's a long way from London. I mean, I don't think that he goes in all the time to the circle, but I think he Roger's goes in regular. travel. <laughs> yes, I think he has. But what I understand, though, is that Simon's really more of an acrophobe or becoming more uh, homebound. Although he still uh, talks a lot and uh, seems to be very sentient, and so I'm hoping that uh, Lee I can. I feel the same way you about, about you, Scott. I mean, you're <laughs> I, very you're very sentient, and you certainly talk a lot. Well, I get out though too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> uh, but uh, from what Lee was telling me, that perhaps he might be able to get me in touch with uh, with Simon some evening or someday we can get him on Zoom. Well, and, you like so. you uh, you like to talk. He likes to talk. So I don't. Yeah. What's the barrier? Uh, you can enjoy talking with each other. He has gotten to the point to where he is talking more, and also uh, because he was doing a, a lot of decoupage. You're familiar with that, right? A bit. Did he yeah. ever give you any of his uh, works of art? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I knew he was interested in it. Spoke about spoke about it. Uh, he was busy working on his decoupage with his dad, Tony, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I'm not familiar. But you were responsible for mo- helping him get from not responsible this, for decoupage for moving from the U.S. over to the U.K. Didn't you? In part, yeah, in part, yeah. I've I've only done uh, in my life, I think two GoFundMe's, mm-hmm. um, and Simon was the first, and uh, yeah, got to move back home and socialized medicine, and uh, got him the best care. That he really that needed. He had, and his dad, you know, as far as I know, sees him uh, every day. Well, he was not getting the care over here that he really needed, and so he did need to get back home. And I just am saying, I just think that you should be recognized for something of being well, so good. Not, I, no, not I, really. I know, but not, I, I, not, I, not, I, not uh, but thank you. <laughs> well, well I mean, it's not, you know, friends are friends. Simon exactly, is a good, good friend, friend, regardless. Sure. We're just friends, you know, when you're just. Yeah. Friends for the duration. But you haven't talked to him, I'm assuming, in a while either, have you? No, not for a while. Yeah. No, I haven't. Well, hopefully we can... I was talking with Roger Nico, and uh, I was, you know, Simon was there. He was shooting a game of pool, and he says, well, Simon's shooting a game of pool. He's in the middle of his game. He's like, yeah, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> so it was something like that. So he was, yeah. he was having a beer and shooting a game of pool. Well, he did have a... Uh... Uh, a live show he was doing, and you paid, I don't know, 20 bucks or something in which he was teaching some tricks. And I want to say Lee might have been the one or someone else who was who was working with him. Uh, and that's, I think, available. You can still go back and buy. And it was, he had, he seemed like the old Simey, you know, then again, he, the way he was sitting there and the interaction and the phrasing and everything. I mean, it seems, and this was, I want to say, certainly pre-COVID. This may have been like 2018, 2017. It's been a while back. Does that ring a bell with you? Do you remember when that event happened? Yes. Okay. Were you involved with that at all? No. Okay. But you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Okay. Well, if you got nothing to say about that, then let's move on to <laughs> no, something else. I, no, I don't have I don't have a lot to say about it. I, no, I, I I hope I hope he's, you know, I think he's he's safe and. Uh, well, he was instrumental. I think he's done a lot for the community as well. I mean, the books and the things that he has uh, influenced uh, a lot of magicians and gotten them uh, interested in. Um, Very talented guy. Yeah. Great MC. Mm-hmm. Um, Very clever. Good writer. You know, done some TV shows. Funny, so. can do platform, can do close up. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you know, can do stage. Yeah. Uh, very, can lecture. Did you ever go see a show? Uh, what was that? Wild and Wonderful Things or something? He had like a one man show in New York for a, a little couple while. Of strange and unusual hobbies. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, of course. How was that? 
Good. Very good, actually. Very good. So it was an eating with Simon Lovell, and yeah, he was. He did a good job. Uh, I remember it was a smaller theater. I didn't see it, but he was telling me about this. And so, was he doing close up or stand up or a lot of comedy or a little bit of everything? Well, it was a small stage, and it was just an evening with Simon Lovell. And yes, by nature, there's comedy involved. But yeah. he did magic, and it was it was a good show. Strange really. and unusual hobbies. Strange and unusual hobbies. Yeah, I don't think that was ever videoed, so no one can actually go back and see that. But it'd be nice. I videotaped it, and you can go see it. Is it on YouTube that you can watch or um, sell a DVD? You, know, or? you can get it from library.com, as a matter of fact. Is that right? Yeah, so you can watch the whole thing. Okay. Wow. Okay. So well, there you go. <laughs> it's available then over there then, too. So what is something that you're planning on doing then uh, now, aside from coming up here shortly, we're going to be doing a workshop, but, I mean, as far as long-term, what are some of your uh, long-term plans? Are you going to be writing another book or working on a DVD or something? Or no, I want to lose a few, few pounds, get my eyes done, and... Uh, do for a colonoscopy. Okay. So important <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Maintenance. Maintenance. This, this is age. It's actually the truth. But uh, I'm doing fine. Good. But, Good. you know, the older you, the older you get... You need a, you need more doctoring and more preventative maintenance and yeah. uh, nips and tucks. Yeah, and I think I'm at that stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, many of us are. <laughs> I certainly but no, feel that way. Good. Things are good. I have no complaints. Yep. Anything new that you're working on? Some new uh, card tricks? I mean, you always are you kind of refining some of your older things? A little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I have enough for another book. I don't know if I want to put out another book or not because um, it would have to be. I'm very happy. Really, after all these years with Randy Wigan presents, mm-hmm. because I've performed pages all is that? that stuff. Was that about 80, 90 pages? It's, it's more than that. Yeah. It's, it's right there. You can read them one. Okay. <laughs> I have to go because I am doing. Uh, I know you are. I'm doing a breakout session in a few minutes. Well, I uh, appreciate the time that you've given me over here. So. I appreciate you. Your. Uh, your perfectly groomed beard, your multicolored shirt, and <laughs> it's just. Uh, Every time I see you, I feel like scampering through the lilac bushes. It's life-affirming, Scott. Please join me. when, when it, it, there. Life-affirming <laughs> to see you. Well, I tell you, before we close over here, I do want to ask you, the name of my podcast is called The Magic Word. So I always like to know what is a, the philosophy of my guest. What is your, I don't mean a word like like hubba hubba, you know, I mean, what would be your, your yeah, your philosophy of life? What is this important to you? Oh, nothing you haven't heard before. I mean, family and friends mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do hear family and friends a lot from people saying that that's, you know, keep your priorities. And your priorities priorities should be your family and friends. Um, and It's a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And enjoy the journey. Uh, again, good advice as well. Well, I appreciate it, Randy. That's uh, great. Thanks very much for... Uh, uh, for your comments. I appreciate it. Okay. Good to see you, Scott. <laughs> so Thanks. with Magic Word Podcast, that was Randy Wakeman. This is Scotty Al. Thank you very much, Randy, for being my guest this week on the Magic Word Podcast. I appreciate you taking not only just the time when we were in St. Louis, but also the time later in Buffalo so we could sit down on two separate occasions. And, of course, our follow-up calls we've had in between. So the time that this has been recorded and the time it's been broadcast. So thank you for your time and your friendship. It's uh, great to uh, catch up, and I appreciate you giving all the advice that you did over here as well. Well, I want to start 
start to wrap this up, but remind everybody, if you have not yet signed up for the pod letter, make sure you do that. Just go to the magicwordpodcast.com, and there you should see a pop-up that will allow you to subscribe. And I would appreciate if you can like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others to help our podcast grow. And if you have a few minutes, it would be extremely helpful if you could actually go to whatever podcast platform you use, whether it's iTunes or Google or wherever, and leave a five-star comment telling us how much that you enjoy the show. For an example of one of the most recent comments that was left here in uh, in May, this was uh, from Big Tom 213 that said, like listening to friends chat is the subject. And it says, each episode I listen to, I have preconceived notions of the directions this interview will take. And time after time, I'm wrong. Scott has immersed himself in magic and magicians his entire life. When he talks with someone he knows, the hour-long conversations go to levels I never knew. If he's with someone he doesn't particularly know, he finds a common bond or link, and then the sharing begins. Always intriguing and frequently enlightening. Scott's talks seem like chats among friends. Five stars of enjoyable. Thank you, Big Tom 213. I appreciate your comment. And again, if you can perhaps uh, just take a few moments of your time to go over and to leave a nice comment like that and five stars, again, that helps our podcast grow. So until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember to keep your priorities straight and then enjoy the journey. This is Scotty out. Scotty out.